Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 26 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Chris Lawson in London, UK, and I'm joined by Samuel Moni in Philadelphia in the USA. Say hello, Sam. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, very good. How's things with you? Yeah, it's been a very good week. Really excited about this week's show. Already excited about next week's show, Chris, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Yeah, best not, best not, because uh, um, we, we've got plenty plenty to get on with, I think, uh, um, on this one. It's going to have to keep it tight, Sam. So I'm going to crack okay. on. that all right, mm-hmm. Bo, you? Yeah, let's go for it. Good. So... So last week we were talking about sort of startups and we were talking about that journey. And when you do start up, your first customers are usually the ones who like to try new things. You try and test out your products. Uh, they give you a warm feeling around it. You work out your market fit. It's not too much exposure. And then you get some cash and uh, suddenly you find yourself in a completely different ball game. And there was this quote that I read from the CEO and co-founder of Fracture, a um, gentleman called Abby Lokesh. And he said, along with rapid growth also comes additional overhead costs, more employees, more infrastructure, more everything. Are you truly prepared to handle it? We weren't and it cost us dearly. I love that humility, actually. Yeah, yeah. In any growth phase, dig deep to ensure that the growth is sustainable and you can actually keep it up. Otherwise, you're not scaling at all. You're just getting bigger and less efficient. I mean, how how true is that, Sam? That just, I think, yeah. nails it all, really. Yeah. So is that the end of the show? <laughs> I think it pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it was just, I love the humility that um, the fracture CEO sort of uh, shared there and actually that seems to be a case of slow and steady growth and I, I as, as I agree with you I love the humility of sharing the missteps so there was some um, reporting out there another one that they call out is not diversifying their marketing efforts the the fact that every tactic eventually has diminishing returns so don't expect what you're doing it to continue to scale exponentially i think that's good news to recognize the value of marketing to test and learn to flex and to be agile and be able to pivot from from the patterns the channels the media that the the approaches you've been doing in the past but we'll always have and see the haves and have nots in this space the the money is still there if you're if you've got the name recognition i just saw that quibi the short video content streaming service. It's been led by Chief Executive Meg Whitman and founder Jeffrey Katzenberg, and they're both heavy hitters in terms of corporate names. They've been in the film and entertainment businesses, tech businesses. They just closed on $750 million in second round funding. The, the company overall has raised $1.75 billion wow, so that's far. That's amazing. And they're launching in April 2020, so it'll be interesting to see how they fare. But clearly there, there are definitely haves and have-nots in this space. Yes. But equally, I think we need to be a bit more balanced in this view. Sorry, I cut you off there. No, I was just going to say. I mean, it's it's a it's an enormous check to to spend in such a short period of time as well, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's a it's a huge amount of money, but they they're clearly creating a lot of content with their business. So mm. I can envision that's going to creative and content and production as much as uh, anything anything in terms of the marketing and advertising side. So that's my. Mm. 
my perspective. And as we see them and we look at other companies, we, we want to take a bit more of a balanced view and the growth mindset that we can learn from successes, but also some of the failures out there. My heart goes out to the employees of um, who lose their jobs, really. And there's been a few DTCs, direct to consumer brands, who haven't ended up with a huge payday becoming billionaires like I've just talked about. In the USA, we've just seen Brandless close. And they were a direct to consumer brand that launched a great fanfare and they're selling food and household products for $3. And it, it was just a bit weird that their pricing model stuck to that $3 price point mm. when it wasn't necessarily working or sustainable over the mid to longer term. Hint, you know, not everything is a dollar. We have retailers out here called Dollar General, Dollar Tree, and all <laughs> they sell things more than a dollar. Dollar Shave Club, which is the the direct consumer um, shaving brand, mm-hmm. they don't sell everything for a dollar. So, I I know you, they wanted to price competitively, but still it was a bit a bit weird. But again, I sort of don't want to call them out um, on their own because there was some corporate enlightenment I actually saw due to the closure. The sudden closure was actually happened because the board of the company wanted to shut up the company when there was actually still enough money to provide severance and and some sort of compensation to the staff. So at least they did, I think they did the right thing there and took care of the people, which was which is good to know because that's not always the case in that space. Yeah, yeah definitely good to know. Yeah, like you say. Um so something some other people could learn from, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And another company that has been in the news for a lot of good reasons, but now it's sort of under a bit more scrutiny is Birchbox. They've taken some action to course correct. They've raised their minimum monthly fee from $10 to $15, which is a significant price rise. But is that still enough? The real challenge I see in some of these business models is that they're they're getting really tested in the US. You've got the Aldi's, Lidl's and Trader Joe, these, these retailers who deliver exceptional product experience at a remarkable value with great customer experience. And that formula combined is going to put a, pro- a lot of pressure on these startups and their ability to scale up because consumers are going to go to retailers and, and picking brands that they know from that channel. The lesson here, I think, is that DTC is not the panacea for success, uh, especially because they have huge acquisition costs. And that's one of the challenges of scaling up here. These companies maybe average $22 for each person they acquire. And that's a lot to make up to in ongoing sales and revenue to compensate for that sort of repeat business to cover that $22, $25 cost of getting people in. But, but, well, what it is if you don't get the products and the customer experience right. Yeah, and, and also getting them to come back. And, and that's, that's seemingly, a, a ch- well, it's not seemingly, it's a challenge that mm. has been proven in terms of some of these failures. But equally, it's not only the challenges suffering, the incumbents have also gone through a bit of pain. According to Forrester Research, Gillette's share of the men's razor market dropped from about 70% in 2010 to about 54, 55% in 2016. Now, full disclosure, I'm an ex-PNG, I'm an ex-Gillette employee. So a brand like Dollar Shave Club is always an interesting case from a personal, also professional sense. And again, their Dollar Shave Club is still in scale-up mode, but and they've been acquired by Unilever. But as I mentioned, the incumbent struggling, PNG last year wrote down the value of Gillette some $8 billion. So there are some winners and losers, but everyone's feeling some, the pain as the market moves in the favor of some of these startups, which are scaling up. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that we always want to do is bring that back to the marketeers. And and we don't want this to be a, um, um, a city podcast talking about winners and losers in the, on the um, sort of NASDAQ or whatever. But, but it is hard. There's plenty of lists out there as to why 
things go wrong. And to draw out a couple, I mean, you know, one area that looks at these all the time is for private equity houses or the VCs and the analyst and venture fund groups. Uh, and there's a um, guy called Jason Goldberg, founder of 10X. And um, and I, I thought this was, was really key. When you, he, he said, when you're a startup, you hire a Swiss army knife of a person. But when you're a hundred person business, you need specialists. And, and I think that is, is so true. You know, when you're there and there's six or seven of you in the office, you're looking for people that can do everything. Even you know, and that that can range really broadly in skills. Uh, mm -hmm. I've seen some really interesting people that have been given marketing as responsibility, for instance. And you think, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really necessarily put it with you um, right. in terms of your background. And and often the most valuable contributors to your startup will will no longer do when you're growing to scale up phase. And, and that's really tough. If you've been in a business from the ground up and you're there and you've mm. helped get it to that stage, right. and then actually there's a pivotal moment when mm. um, you're looking at your, yourself or you're the CEO looking at sort of your team, it, it's, it's a real tough bit to get there. But uh, one, of the, one of the challenges he raises is that Actually, that happens at a senior management level as well. It's not It's not just about whether you're a Swiss army knife or a specialist. It's about actually, can you manage? And that the most important hires is about making sure that you're getting the right middle management team because there's a difference between the entrepreneurs and the, the leaders that can go out and get the funding and get it to a stage and then uh, the group of people that need to actually um, manage for business. So mistaking leadership for management. And I think that's an absolutely fascinating point, as in when you're in that startup phase, it is all about leadership. Quite often it's about almost a, an idealism as well. And you're mm. trying to get people to believe, you know, and believe in a vision that isn't there. And then you need to move it to a place where you need good, hard management skills. So you can actually hire someone um, to, from the outside who can take that forward. You know, it's, it's a difficult part to get to, I think. Yeah, some, some good points there, Chris. And as I'm listening there, part of it is just being open and transparent to what the challenges are. And if we come back to Fracture, what I, I, I like from that example is, again, the, the, the CEO founder, Abby Lokesh, calls out the fundamental of not taking good communication all the way through as you scale up for granted. Uh, investing in the infrastructure and ensuring everyone's on the same page, getting the same mes messaging sounds like an obvious low-hanging fruit, but it's so critical and it, it could be a deal breaker for a lot of these organizations. And Chris, coming back to you to finish the point, the problems we've mentioned aren't a huge surprise, some of the things we've talked about, but let's give the audience more ammunition on how to scale and some of the drivers of that. Yeah, well, um, I've worked with about four startup scale-ups in 2019 and and this year and and uh, thankfully they're they're all still around um they're all doing good um i won't go through all of them but but a, a couple just to sort of pull out i was working with a founder of a um a company called ticket taylor which is a sort of self-service ticketing platform a guy called johnny white um, and we were looking over summer with a, a creative sort of guru called Charles Bernard about how we how we how we can scale that organisation. I mean, what are the options and and what what is it? And and a lot of it actually came back to 
positioning. So how should the, the ticket tailor be positioned? And uh, and I, I did a, a piece of work on the, the, the team and have been working on it ever since. Um, and they've just relaunched um, with a really clear differentiation um, in the marketplace, really sort of smart um, around you dream it, we ticket it. And uh, you know, a nice welcome, warm uh, to to basically say a self service platform wherever you are and whatever you do in whatever type of event. Um, and as a result, they've they've now gone through a transition where they've recruited a head of growth, uh, a smart mm-hmm. guy called George Follett, who is looking at a really interesting phase both for himself and for the organization in terms of like how do you move from instigator and inspiration to delegation um so i think that that's fascinating in itself because you you also not only do you have to start thinking about what skills you recruit you need to sort of loosen your Mm -hmm. control into thinking about where can I bring some extra resources in from the outside. So, so Mm. that I think is, if you can get that right, then you're into a winner. Um, the other one, which I think is uh, really interesting, is a uh, fintech called Unbiased, um, really successful. Um, they set themselves out to say, we're ensure, sure you get perfectly matched with 27,000 qualified financial advisors and mortgage brokers um, and accountants, and they provide a matching service via an algorithm. They've just secured close on £5 million worth of funding to take them Mm -hmm. onto the next stage. And again, working with Karen Barrett, the the CEO there, the challenge now is um, how do we grow fast whilst also achieving the the targets um, that Mm. we've got? Um, Mm. So you really are trying to get your cake and eat it at the same time. And Mm. and it's it's important to be able to do that. but I, I do wonder in terms of whether the organisations, when they reach this stage, recognise that you do um, prioritisation needs to be at a point where you can suddenly do two, three, four, five things at once rather than necessarily right. just focus on one task. So um, mm-hmm. some, some key learnings there. A couple others I won't go into, but... Um, one was a SaaS business that's um, pivoted and another one is now looking for a buyer. Um, so maybe come back to them at a different time. Okay, yeah. Let's hear from... uh, but, you know, the learning itself, the challenges are varied, but it's how you adapt to them that matter. And extra cash is not the answer to your problems. It's the start of a new set of problems, Sam, right. in a way. <laughs> so I think that's an interesting point. You You might need to adapt out of your comfort zone. Have you got any examples of that, Sam? Yeah, as you're talking there, there's an example that comes to mind, which may be just a bit of a, I was going to say curveball, which is an Americanism there, but just take us in a slightly different... No, that, that works over here too, don't worry. Does that work there? Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll use that one. And it, it moves us in a slightly different direction, but I think we tend to have this perception of the founder and often a he and coming from San Francisco and, you know, a white guy and just a perception of who these leaders are and how they think and how they operate. But there's a story which I love of Gravity Payments by the CEO and founder there called um, Dan Price. And he's basically known as the boss who put everyone on $70,000. What I love about this, it's a story of scaling and sustaining a business, but in actually a very disruptive way. And a story that we don't tell enough it's not always about us making as much money as possible now dan price freely admits that he's the same age as mark zuckerberg and 
what he calls his dark moments, he, where he thinks oh, he wants to be just as rich as Mark Zuckerberg and be on the Forbes list and, the, and that time cover. But what I love about his example is it radically brings to life truly being people-centric, truly being mission-based, and actually having a different scorecard of what you value. So they used to have, this company used to have traditional measures. So they'd say, yes, our headcount has doubled, and they they grew as a company that processes payments. It grew from $3.8 billion to $10.2 billion. So those are the traditional hard metrics. But when the company started to evolve and Dan looked at things in a different way other measures have come to the forefront by putting everyone on 70,000 he's more proud of metrics such as the number of babies that the organization had so before the 70,000 minimum minimum wage there were zero to two babies born a year since the announcement four and a half years in they've had more than 40 babies so it's allowing people to have families home ownership more than 10% of the company have been able to buy their own home in one of the US's most expensive cities for renters before that it was like 1% there's a perception shift of this equity and purposeful move. Some, some people think, oh, yeah, you're going to go under. The business is going gonna to flounder. But actually, there, there's a lot of what he calls pontificators who was, would say, oh, people are going to squander this money that they would have. But actually, they've seen the opposite and seen more commitment and determination. And people have actually contributed more to their pensions. So the amount of money the employees are voluntarily putting into their own pension has more than doubled and 70% are, are paying off debt. So he sees it as the power of giving someone freedom. This, this increase in salary across the board and him taking less was didn't change people's motivations it actually increased their capability to do good work and not worry about making money and ultimately has driven the top and bottom line performance for this company so i I just think that's an awesome story of how to scale up it's a great story great story i love that yeah and and just do it in a a different way in a heartwarming way but also a you know a a capitalist way that just i think everyone can win and as we think about that bringing it back to the audience here chris what skills do you think as a marketer in moving to that scale up phase from the startup phase can you give us a few ideas yeah i think the first one is resilience um this is still an incredibly difficult phase you know like i say just because you're presented with a big check it doesn't mean that it's any easier in fact it's a lot harder um resourcefulness um you know no doubt you've committed to a lot of targets and um you need to be resourceful in terms of how you achieve it uh, the ability to work in a chaotic environment i think is is also mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. you, you go through growing pains uh, and that's the, the simple way of putting it suddenly you're you go from uh, being clear as to what you're going to do to thinking right wow can i can i manage this great beast that i've created and um, and that takes a lot of uh, effort mm-hmm. multitasking we covered that before the swiss army mm-hmm. knife but i think the key thing is that when all of that is going on you must never lose sight of the data and you mm-hmm. must also know when you don't have all the answers and and when you need to bring people in yeah, those those are all good ones. Yeah, well, one one practical one that sort of comes to mind is that um, what quite often happens is you're in a startup phase and you've been used to doing all your influencer marketing or you know your marketing budget of seven thousand pounds and then suddenly suddenly you presented this great check and you're sort of saying right well we want to be in three countries by this time next year so here's your here's your marketing budget of one million pounds or, or whatever the figure may well be. And, and the bottom line is, is that 
if you work out a process, then you really just got to stay calm about that and realize that what you're dealing with is just a couple more zeros on an Excel spreadsheet. If, if you get the basics right, then you should be able to create a scalable marketing uh, plan. And it's important to create a scale up in your marketing plan as it is creating a scale up in your business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that idea of staying calm and thinking about it in a sort of constructive, proactive way. And as we think about skills, behaviors, mindsets that that we should have in this space, I see a blind spot that some of these challenger brands actually have and to consider. Scaling up inev- inevitably, invariably means going into physical retail and physical distribution, which are sometimes the very channels and stores that a lot of these challenger brands are trying to disrupt and unsettle. So they've got to get their mind around that. They might be sneering at some of these distribution vehicles, these retailers and these channels, but stores aren't going anywhere yet. Having been in CPG and retail in multiple cases, there's just an inevitability and just a pragmatism of fitting into the launch windows, the store reset timings, the the foibles of the buyers who actually decide what does or doesn't get listed hitting the weekly store flyers, doing in-store demos, being on end cap displays. You you basically have to play a game of retail, which may be boring, may be slow and steady, but it's fundamental to growing beyond that 5-10% market that a lot of these online only or digital um, direct-to-consumer companies can, can actually meet. I, I do know a lot of these companies are basically recruiting legacy CPG or FMCG in the UK to the packaged goods people to help them do it well. It's, it's kind of a bit weird when you see conventional marketers who are perhaps better at the blocking and tackling ending up at some of these startup challenger brands and companies and bringing that perhaps more disciplined and a bit more structured and perhaps slightly a bit more bureaucratic in some ways. So I'm not sure how that's going to work mm. over the long term. Other skills, behaviors, and mindsets I'd say are important are that relentless customer empathy, people as as people, not as just data points, true customer journey application. What are the pain points and solving those pain points of your customers and your consumers and your shoppers? And then focusing on KPIs that matters, thinking about the total picture, not just the digital numbers that you could measure, but in the holistic conclusion and thinking of of the whole person and the whole explanation of what the data means and not just some of those early indicators. Yeah, good shout there, I think, Sam. As we think about this space more broadly, Chris, on a personal note, I'm looking out for opportunities or brands or companies who aren't the status quo. So much more about what isn't in the market than what already Mm. is. I think from my personal and cultural lens, there's a huge opportunity to meet the needs of more diverse consumers and stakeholders and take that to the mainstream. My background is is from Ghana, of Ghanaian heritage, and there are so many foods that could become well, the new Indian cuisine, if, if you're in the UK, or perhaps Mexican is, is just as, as well known in the US. So different cultures and different markets can bring things out there. And I'm excited to see what the future brings. Yeah, uh, I like the sound of that. It's making me hungry. I've, uh, I've tried some of that cuisine that you've just talked about. And and absolutely, it gets my vote. But but Sam, you've got to watch out for those bear traps as well. I'm, I mean, imagine I say, yeah, do you know what? I've got... 20 million in my pocket. I'm going to give you 10 million to go and launch it tomorrow. What, what, Thank you very much. Yeah, what do you think you can do with it? Apart from I'll take it. disappear off into the sunset. <laughs> That's a great question. A lot of people, yeah. What would you do if you got that, that, that amount of yeah, resource? And, and, and it is a, it's a massive challenge. It's a, a real challenge. Jawbone uh, was a um, consumer electronics company, uh, produced products like headsets and Bluetooth speakers and the like. And, and it was given a, a massive 390 million pounds it raised um, from some really credible sort of VC um, and funds. So, you know, not not anything there. But 
but the high, it didn't manage to live up to the hype and, and ended up um, liquidating in about mm. 2017. And it was because it was overfunded, um, artificially increasing its valuation, almost force-fed that funding, when right. really the product set wasn't up to scratch um, and couldn't keep up with the likes of the Fitbits and the Samsungs of the world um, and became a mm. you know, significant failure. So too much money cannot is not necessarily a good thing, I don't think, Sam. Absolutely. There's so much evidence. There's a lot of data in the power of constraints and working with limited resources and how that actually drives the breakthrough solution. And it's definitely a topic we should come back to in the future mm. is the other way of looking at that, having too much money. What if you don't have enough resources? What do you do with it and how do you solve it? Yeah, completely. Um, and and I think one of the other thing that we should perhaps look at uh, in the future as well is that the biggest killer is cash flow. You know, it's the op- opposite end of it. Um, and great if you can be there in the long term, but no one will thank you for a moral compass if you go out of business in six months and you're out of a job. Um, so something else to to be aware of, I mm. think. Yeah, and there's a I think the the critical thing there is to think about the impact on not only yourself, but also the employees that you have in an organization. If you're kind of bring people on board and, and close really quickly, that's just a, a huge issue. And as we think about this more broadly, think about it from the traditional environmental analysis or regulatory analysis and legislation that's going on out there. There's some key considerations that a business has to have wherever business you're in. For example, right now, there are complaints from Deliveroo and Just Eat, which are a couple, a couple of the food meal delivery companies in the UK and their ability to secure investment from bigger players and some of the legislations that's coming in and concerns. Amazon are trying to invest, I think, 500 million pounds into those organizations, but there's some concerns from the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA in the UK. And they're saying, hey, that's actually going to interfere with the grocery delivery market. And they're saying, no, no, this is meal delivery. And, and the startup industry is, is getting frustrated that these probes and these regulators are con, con, in, interfering in basically the marketplace that doesn't happen in, in other markets and other geographies. So you, you've got to also have in mind the the political and economic landscape and some of the principles uh, and what's going on there that can impact your business and your startup and your ability to scale up just as much as anything else yeah so i mean i must admit after hearing this episode you you wonder why only one bothers in a way i, I know that's sort of <laughs> what 90 percent of sort of startups say um and, and i do wonder whether it's like betting on zero on roulette now you know that you only have one in 35 chance about sort of 2.5 percent but but it still appeals to people more than betting on black which gives you a 50 50 chance um and, and it's interesting, I think, how we then relate that back to us as everyday marketeers as well, Sam. So um, I think I'll let you do that as you sum up this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say there are three things to take away from this episode. Firstly, transformation is inevitable. There's a phase of growth and growing and the different mindset that, that that's needed as you go through and perhaps a more entrepreneurial phase and as you mature and lead the organization going forward. Secondly, keep calm and actually plan for the future and think about the where and how you're going to invest. If you won that lottery, how would you spend the money equally? If you got an infusion of cash, how are you going to spend that and how are you going to do that wisely? And then thirdly, try and be brave and humble at the same time. It's probably a skill that people who do walk the tightrope have, being brave to actually walk on that tightrope, but also being humble and, and facing the risks that they could fall and really leaning into their discipline and their skills and the mindset to succeed. Yep. Good, good summary there. So episode 27, 
we're going to look at marketing that works. It's going to be the brand turnaround episode, um, taking you from the, the, the brink of extinction and the brands and the businesses that have managed to come back even stronger. And, and also why the power of nostalgia works for a, wh- a while if you get it right. Um, so lots of good lessons there, Lear- learnings from Richard Shotton or from Choice Factory and Katy Perry. So uh, one, to, one to wait for, I think, Sam. Katy Perry, the singer, is going to come on the show. Is that what you're um, saying, Chris? No, but... Yeah, you know, we'll talk about her anyway. Okay, okay, that's great, Chris. Well, I'm super excited about the show. Let's get cracking, let's get riding it up. And until next week, Chris, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.